0: Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm so thrilled that you're tuned in this morning. Well, happy Father's Day to all you fathers in the audience. We're going to get to the second of three parts of our interview with Dr. Gary Habermas about near-death experiences in just a moment. But before we get to that interview, I'd like to start the show by recognizing you fathers, and by talking a bit about Father's Day. But even before we get to that, I wanted to say happy birthday to the most beautiful little four-year-old I know, Kara. Kara, I love you so much. You're the joy of my life. You and your sister Eliana and your brother Micah make me so happy. Happy birthday, sweet, beautiful Kara. I love you so much. Well, happy Father's Day again to all you fathers that are in the audience listening this morning. I love the fact that God has blessed me with being a father. My precious kids, Eliana, Kara, and Micah, are the greatest joy of my life. My wife, Erin, who has partnered with me in raising these kids up, is an incredible, incredible gift from God. And I thank all of you in my family this day that we celebrate Father's Day. And I thank you, Dad, Russ. Grandpa, Roger, Dwight, John Ray, Ed Daly, Tom Ray, Chuck Perry, Mark Minicielo, Scott Stanek, Norm Schultz, and even Dale Marks recently, who have been father figures in my life in different capacities. Fathers are so important, yet our society so often just glosses over the importance of fathers. In fact, if you look at TV shows today or if you watch movies, fathers are usually portrayed as doofus is, and this is crazy. Fathers are so critically important. Just like the family is the bedrock of our society, whether society admits it or not, fathers are the bedrock of the family. And this is as true now as it's ever been in history. It might not be the most politically correct thing to state, but it's true, and it's not just true from a philosophical standpoint, but from an empirical one as well. The statistics show that most youth suicides That most child runaways, that most rapists motivated by displaced anger, that most children with behavioral disorders, that most youths in prison, that most teenage girls that get pregnant, that all those societal problems derive mostly, and I mean the statistics are crazy, like 80 to 90% and above, mostly from fatherless homes. If that doesn't tell you how important a father is in the family, I don't know what will. Kids need a mother and a father that will show them how to live this life the way it was meant to be lived, how to be responsible, how to live with integrity, how to love people, how to forgive people, how to pay bills on time, you name it. Kids need this from their parents. And more than any of that, they need love and affirmation from parents who genuinely love them. They need discipline to help them learn their boundaries and see the way that they should go. The Bible describes God as our father, and sometimes it's really hard for people that have not had a good father to identify with God as a father. And in fact, many people that come from situations where they had bad fathers or no fathers project their feelings of negativity about fathers onto God. I want to tell you this morning that whatever you think of your earthly father, your heavenly father is the perfect father. In fact, the Bible tells us in Psalm 68, five, that he is a father to the fatherless. He is compassionate. He is protecting. He provides for you. He forgives you when you ask him to forgive you. He disciplines you to help you go the way that you should go. He helps you. He comforts you. He sacrificially serves you. And most importantly, he unconditionally loves you. These are the attributes of your father, God. So wherever you've been, whatever your past, whatever you think of fathers, I would ask you today to Evaluate that and come to God this morning, realizing that he is a perfect, loving father, not like your imperfect father. I'm so thankful that my dad was such a good father and showed me the love that is also found in Christ and most importantly, led me to faith in Christ. Thank you, dad, so much for that. Well, happy Father's Day to all you fathers in the audience. I hope you have a wonderful time celebrating with your families today. Well, today we're going to get to the second part of our interview with Dr. Gary Habermas. Again, like I mentioned last week, Dr. Gary Habermas is a world-renowned expert on the reliability of the New Testament documents, and he is the authority on the historical evidence for Jesus and his resurrection. He is the Distinguished Professor of Apologetics and Philosophy and the Chairman of the Department of Philosophy and Theology at Liberty University. That's where I got my master's degree. He has also authored 39 books, including The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus, co-authored with Dr. Mike Lacona, who's been on the show. You could go to GodSolutionShow.com to see our interviews with Lacona. He's also authored with J.P. Moreland, Beyond Death, Exploring the Evidence for Immortality. Additionally, some of his other books include Did the Resurrection Happen? A Conversation with Gary Habermas and Antony Flew, The Historical Jesus, Ancient Evidence for the Life of Christ, The Risen Jesus and Future Hope, In Defense of Miracles, A Comprehensive Case for God's Action in History, Resurrected, An Atheist and Theist Dialogue, Why is God Ignoring Me?, What to Do When It Feels Like God's Giving You the Silent Treatment, What's Good About Feeling Bad, Finding Purpose in a Path Through Your Pain?, and the Thomas Factor, Using Your Doubts to Draw Closer to God. He's been quoted in numerous other books, often writes essays for other works. He's known around the world, again, as the expert on the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. And today we're going to be discussing near-death experiences with him, which are in the same field of study as the resurrection. I'm excited for the second part of this interview, and know you will be too. We pick up here in the middle of the interview talking about the number of documented, evidential, near-death experiences. So how many of those experiences do you think there are, the documented?
1: Evidential ones?
0: Yeah. How, I mean, could you put a number to that, do you think, or would that be just impossible?
1: Well, interestingly enough, I've been doing this with NDEs for over 40 years, and I also have a list of well over a 100 cases. Wow. Now, I read Janice Holden's article and she does a really good job on it, but I was I did not read it for how many of her 100 are taken from the same sources, you know, several of my 100. In other words, if I put my I don't know, 120 with her 100, how many different cases would we have I, I have no idea but but i would say and, and i'd say we both missed ones and of course people don't report everything so we're always finding new ones i just found one or two just recently myself the one you just told about your uh... uh... uh your wife's family uh, that's something that uh... uh... you know some researchers are going to want to hear that whole story um, I'm going to guess there's at least 150 to 200 evidential
0: cases. Got it. And those are the evidential ones, not the heaven is for real type. How many? Yeah.
1: Now, I'm not saying there's uh, – no, now, it's interesting you bring that up. Okay. Heaven is for real when someone says, well, you know, I walked and talked with this uh, young lady, and she identified herself as my sister, and I thought, I don't have a sister. And she said, well – you know, whatever it is, it's been a long time since I read the book. Maybe the little girl says, well, go ask mom when you get back, or I was miscarried, or whatever she said. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets back and he asks mom, and mom says, whoa, how did you know that? Um, that's, that's a bit of, uh, you know, that's a bit of, let's call it heavenly cooperation for one of a, a better, heavenly in a generic sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of it, some of it is, is that kind. But by far, the vast majority is things about this world.
0: Got it. So the evidential kind. Right, of the
1: evidential, right. evidential cases, right. That doesn't mean there's none of the other kind, though.
0: Got it. So these aren't rare, these experiences. No. But they are quite interesting. They don't happen every day, maybe.
1: Well, now, if you you mean evidential ones or not evidential ones?
0: Oh, the evidential ones more.
1: Yeah, evidential ones are not rare. You're right. Um, but if you mean NDEs in general... There was a famous survey by Gallup in nineteen eighty two and he wasn't just doing NDEs, he was doing, you know, near death phenomena as a whole. You know, grandma's dying and I mean we have we have these stories on our own family. Almost everybody, it seems, has something like this. But Grandma's dying and she says, Well, it must be my time to go because there are two creatures dressed in white sitting at the bottom of my bed, and I can only take that to mean I'm leaving. <laughs> and nobody else sees them. You know, those kind of stories, they might be called deathbed confessions. Mm-hmm. If it, So Gallup did this kind of survey of phenomena as a whole. And if I remember the number, the poll estimated, I believe, that eight million Americans were knowledgeable of uh, claims or stories or accounts of something in that genre.
0: Very interesting.
1: So they're very common, evidential ones. You know, common enough that if you looked around and found a couple hundred, I I think that's I think that's a pretty good number.
0: Absolutely, it sure isn't a good number if you're a naturalist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a great point. That's a great point. You know, I, I reminded Nate. This just popped into my mind. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's famous comment in Mere Christianity, where he says, now that I'm a Christian, yeah. there, there are days when I have questions. I mean, I wonder, how do I solve this or that? And, and, you know, I mean, I teach graduate school. I teach PhD level. I hear those questions 24-7 from students. But Lewis goes on to say, I can really recall, and remember he was in his early 30s when he was an atheist and a professor at Oxford as an atheist, He said it, but I know too that when I was an atheist there were some days when Christianity looked terribly probable. Which which raises the question to to take your point how would you feel if you've been telling everybody I'm a naturalist. There's nothing. I don't care what anybody tells you. Nothing after death. Nothing after death. And you start feeling you start hearing one evidential case after another after another and then some of the people who are doing the talking are saying, Dude, you better get your life right because, uh, you know, a judgment's coming. And occasionally you hear a near-death experience with a hell theme, and, uh, you know, you start going, oh, no, I don't think I really want to hear this. <laughs>
0: I, I think it's difficult. I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. It would it would definitely create a little bit of panic, I think, if somebody was willing to engage with the evidence so yeah uh,
1: what what scholars today would call cognitive dissonance that <laughs> that creates a little something that goes against your deepest <laughs> beliefs yeah
0: absolutely so what about the claim that NDEs i guess from the naturalist are just hallucinations a result of oxygen deprivation or uh, just the brain fading out and giving you something good on its way out like you mentioned before
1: yeah yeah because in that case it would be some of the chemicals that each of us have on our our own brains, they would say, "Well, the dying—it's called the dying brain hypothesis—that that they dump chemicals in your brain, and maybe it's the last stand, you know, for the brain to convince you that uh, whatever." Um, the problem with every single one of those theories, and I mean, I could add others. You could, you could even say these people are lying. I mean, you can say anything, but the in uh, have a really interesting boundary that allows you to handle these naturalistic theories. They have something that almost any other theory about a spiritual realm does not have at its disposal. And that is this, that all the attempts to explain away NDEs are, I mean, they're almost always subjective. It's like, well, that's your dying brain. That happens inside your head. Yes, everybody, you know, a lot of people talk about going down tunnels and seeing lights. But what's that? That's their subjective brain. And the reason many of you, let's just pick any old number, umpteen percent, see tunnels and lights, well, I mean, come on. You're all human beings. And, and they would probably add, I'm sure, we we're all evolved. Our brains all came like this. This is, would be a natural hypothesis naturalistic hypothesis. We all got here by the same method, out of the slime and everything else. And so I'm not surprised if we all have dying brains or we all have oxygen deprivation. Or All right. They all fail on this thesis. Then what in the world am I watching something that happened two floors away in the hospital or out in the parking lot when there were no windows in my room or at my home? Where my family was, and I was tied down, quote-unquote, in the hospital to machines, Uh, these subjective theories of of oxygen uh, deprivation, et cetera, et cetera, or even the lying things, when the guy comes back and says, uh, you know, what was Dad doing upstairs in the waiting room? Um, How do you explain that? How do you explain objective data with subjective theories? That's the main issue with any of the comebacks against the uh, NDs.
0: So these comebacks are subjective. They're not dealing with the objective data. And they have really minimal explanatory scope, it seems to me. And I'm not even very familiar with this topic. They can't even come close to explaining all the different ND types of experiences out there, it seems. Evi-
1: like, evidenced experiences. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, they don't have to. I would be on the... Naturalist side in this regard, they don't have to explain the tunnel and the light and all that because they might be right that that's common brain chemistry that we all have. But when someone reports, I'm just making this up, right? This isn't one of the cases. But if somebody reports, uh, hey, do you hear those sirens? There was a car, ac- there was an accident out there, and I don't know what that silly driver in the blue car was doing, but he blah da 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 da. Well. And there's no there's no windows in the room where this resuscitation has taken place, and nobody inside. Somebody maybe heard a siren, but nobody knows what's going on. And you know it when you come to and you report it. I mean, what's oxygen deprivation got to do with that? Absolutely. What's lying got to do with that? What's what's the dying brain hypothesis got to do with that? What is? Well, I saw you taking drugs last week, and I know that you're tripping. You know, what does that have to do with it? Um, you know, if you can report objective data, I during that state, especially when the person, as we said earlier, like cardiac arrest, where they have measurably, um, you know, no recorded uh, brain or heart either, Uh, I think that's a very powerful argument against naturalism. I'd be very uncomfortable if I were a
0: naturalist. (laughs) Absolutely. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR, 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and kdur.org online. You could also get our previous shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening. Now I know some of these stories are just so outstanding, the evidential ones you described. I haven't heard very many. I read the one in the article you wrote in Dembski and Lacona's book, are there any of those specific details that you could share about evidential examples, like I saw such and such, or I saw, I think there's one with a shoe on the roof, right?
1: Yeah, there's two, there's at least two famous, well, I know three shoe cases, two, two Hmm. shoes and one shoelaces. Um, one, The most famous case, it may be the most famous evidential NDE of all, but it's a, it's a, a, um, an account of a person who had a cardiac arrest. So again, we're talking the right kind of measurable phenomena to check this out, because again, cardiac arrest leads to no measurable brain or heart activity within, by by the 32nd mark, and the person reported being up above their body and, and, and going through a couple floors of the hospital and reported a large blue male tennis shoe up on top of the hospital across the other side of the hospital up on the roof. Now, that was in Seattle. There's another case in Hartford, Connecticut, of a person saying they were going up above the – they went – they rose up. And sometimes the deeper the experience, the longer you're out, um, the more you, the closer you go to this otherworldly type experience. And this person said they were up above the hospital and observing the Hartford, Connecticut skyline, Hmm. you know, and like the sun going down or something. And looked down on top of the hospital and saw a red tennis shoe. Hmm. And, um... But this was the kind of hospital where you had to get somebody. You couldn't just look out a window. You had to get somebody and go up on the the roof, you know, like um, somebody who would go up there if there were roofing problems or something, and they found the red tennis shoe. Very
0: interesting. Another
1: one was the description. I, I believe there's more than one of these where people in the operating room at, right after the surgery ask a nurse, for example, where in the world did they get these very distinctive shoelaces that they had in their tennis shoes? And they were red, white, and blue. I'm just making this up. Red, white, and blue candy cane uh, shoelaces. Or, you know, they had a little, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse on the shoelaces. And the person is up above their body, and they're just caught by these shoelaces. So, I mean, there's a number of those. Yeah, so there's two tennis shoe ones, and I don't know which one. I, I, I've written a lot of articles on this. <laughs> but I don't remember which one I told in the Lacona and Dembski book. Was it the one about the girl who uh, was able to see in her home what her parents so. were doing at night? Yeah, they
0: were cooking some kind of meal. Yeah, think, and she, 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 she reported
1: what her brother was doing, what her sister was doing, what her dad was doing. And in particular, the doctors really caught on to it when she said "What my mom, that my mom was making dinner and they said what was your mom making for dinner and she said roast chicken and rice now interestingly they reported that according to the measurable data when she came into the uh emergency room she had no brain activity measurable brain activity and uh she was without a pulse for at least 19 minutes she had drowned and um so she's reporting what her parents did when they went home at night well She was all locked down, you know, in ICU, given almost no chance to to live, and and, kind of spontaneously came to just a couple of days later. So she was just, she was simply reporting events that had just happened, I mean, within, I guess, 48 hours. So, and then when mom and dad come rushing into the hospital, you say, ma'am, do you remember what, the night of the accident, when you guys finally got home, what, what did you uh what were you making for dinner? Oh, it was nothing. I had, you know, leftovers. I had uh chicken and rice. You go <laughs> <laughs> only chicken and rice, huh? Now one of the two doctors I do not know the beliefs of one of them, but the other doctor present was a pediatrician. I've interviewed him myself. I've talked to him for hours actually. Uh he was an agnostic and after he started witnessing, because he was a pediatrician, he had a number of cases over the years uh, with uh, children who have cooperative or evidential indies. Um, he became a theist.
0: Wow!
1: <laughs> now I have no idea how close he came or didn't come. I don't. I don't mean that in the past tense; he's alive, but um, I do not know how close he came to being a christian i just know that he said he came to believe in god and heaven from his agnosticism due to these evidential ndes
0: very interesting in keener's book miracles and keener was on recently and i asked him about this too i think he says 75 percent of doctors believe in miracles because of their practice because of what they've seen in their practice again another stat that you'd hate if you're a naturalist
1: yeah, I mean it's it's kinda hard to deny personal, empirical, measurable now of course empirical is measurable, it's sense data. There's a bunch of those studies out there. I was just looking at one of those on my computer today before you and I talked. But the follow up question was, How many miracles have you personally seen? And I think the figure was about forty percent of these doctors said, I've personally seen that. Now I don't know about you, Nate, but back back when I um, went to grad school, it was often said that the most skeptical people in the world by profession were um, scientists, medical doctors, and per- university professors. And, you know, the way we've been talking about them here, they'd mostly be naturalists. Well, now, now why are these doctors saying, you know, 70%, yeah, I believe it, and when you go, yeah, but how about you personally? Yeah, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty percent. Why are they saying this? Well, because as you know, and you've interviewed him, Craig Keener, he and I were just, we were just speaking together a few months ago on a college campus uh, down south, and uh, they brought us both in—me to do NDEs and him to do the miracles. Hmm. And uh, you put these two together, and now you have two different kinds of supernatural type phenomena, because. They're strewn all the way through Craig's book, and you have to kind of dig them out. But a number, Craig reports a number of highly cooperative ones with pre- and post-MRI, uh, CAT scans, x-rays. And uh, so you put a contemporary miracle case with the contemporary NDE and uh, mix that with a few other type categories and... I think naturalism is on the way out today, (laughs) Evidently, I I think there's a reason the polls are changing dramatically, not toward Christianity, but toward some supernatural kind of view.
0: Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Gary Habermas. You'll be able to get this interview, our other interviews with him, and all of our past shows at Godsolutionshow.com, so don't miss it. Also, please visit GaryHabermas.com. That's G A R Y H A B E R M A S dot com, Gary Habermas dot com, to find out more about Dr. Gary Habermas. There are a ton of resources on that site, including a few free books that you can download, many different articles that you could download, and a whole lot more. So definitely visit Gary dot com and also go to Amazon and pick up some of Dr. Habermas's books. He's written 39 again, and you're bound to find many out of those 39 that will be wonderful reads this summer. So go to Amazon and pick up some of his books. Well, I hope you're encouraged by all you heard this morning and the reality that there is life after death. The Bible tells us that God loves each and every one of us with an everlasting love, that we were created for fellowship with him. Unfortunately, that fellowship was broken when we chose to go our own way, rebelling against God in sin and selfishness. Every single one of us is sinful, meaning none of us are perfect. God is perfect. We're not perfect. Imperfection can't be in unity with perfection without perfection ceasing to be perfect. The reality is that none of us can have the connection with God that we are created for as long as we have our own sin problem. The Bible says left unmitigated, that would lead to an eternity separated from God in what the Bible calls hell. That's horrible news. Once I shared that with somebody and he said, if that's true, why are you Christians always so happy? And I said, well, there's more to the story than just that. The reality is that Jesus, God in human flesh, came and lived a perfect life among us and died on the cross for your sins and mine, taking our sins on himself, the Bible says, nailing them to the cross so that our sins would be paid for before God so that we could be made right by receiving the gift of salvation that Jesus paid for us. The Bible says anyone that comes to him putting their faith in him will be forgiven and adopted into his family and given an eternity with him in heaven and a life of meaning, purpose, and abundance here on this planet. If you're at that point today and want to put your faith in Christ right now, you can do that through prayer, simply saying, Jesus, I know that I desperately need you. I ask you to come into my life to be my Savior and my Lord, to forgive me for my sins. I trust that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again to give me new life. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life today, for adopting me as your child. The Bible says if you took that step of faith this morning, putting your faith and trust in him through prayer, you've been adopted into his family and you can look forward to an eternity with him in heaven and a life of meaning and purpose here on this planet. I trust that if you haven't yet taken that step that you will. Go to godsolutionshow.com to find a list of local churches that you could visit even this morning and to leave comments about the show and what you think about the show and what you'd like to see changed here on the show. Any comments that you have would be much appreciated. I'm so glad that you listen and I hope that you'll tune in next week for the last part of our interview with Dr. Gary Habermas. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope, that if you haven't yet found him, you'll find him today. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. And again, happy Father's Day to you fathers, and happy birthday, sweet Kara. I love you so much. Have a great Sunday afternoon.